The title of the message today is we're for real, for real. Trusting Jesus for real, for real. Because you know there's trusting Jesus, and then there's for real, and then there's for real, for real. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 7 today. Pressing pause on the messages about Holy Spirit, I hope, being led by the Holy Spirit and doing that. And I just want to look at a short story from the Gospels about Jesus. A few thoughts as you're thumbing your way or clicking your way or smudging your touch screen towards Luke 7 or just trusting that you can read it on the screen. Um, Two thoughts. The first one is this. If you've never read the stories of Jesus in the Bible for yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're missing out on the most important stories in human existence. Don't be a second-hander with the Bible, but especially with the stories of Jesus. Don't take anyone's word for it. Go find out what the fuss is all about. Know those stories. They are the most important books that have ever been written in human history, and you should know them for yourself. Okay? Even if you hate Christianity, if you don't know what's in the Bible, you don't know human history. It's true. You just know what's going on here less. So that's point number one. Point number two, read those stories to meet someone. Those four books are there so you can find out what it was like for people to meet Jesus so you can know who that person was and who that person is. So read those books just saying, I want to meet Jesus in these stories. It's way different than reading the stories to uh, kind of find out what you're doing wrong, or afraid that you're going to find out what you're doing wrong, or to get a guilt trip, or to find things that Jesus said so that you can beat other people up with things that Jesus said. That's also, you know, out of bounds. Meet Jesus in the book. Meet Jesus in the book. And that's what we're going to do today. So, trusting Jesus for real, for real. I I really like this story. If if you're familiar with it, this is the story of when Jesus heals the centurion's servant. And I just, I love this story. It's like arms out before I've prayed. I really love this story. And one of the things I love about the story that we'll read is that this is one of the few times in the Bible that Jesus is surprised for a good reason. Sometimes Jesus is surprised because he can't believe how bad things have got. And he's just like... But this is a good time. Jesus is surprised. And we're going to read this story, and I want you just to be tracking for when Jesus is surprised, and it's a good thing. Um, After he'd finished all his sayings, so he's just finished this long teaching time in the previous chapter, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. Anybody felt like that in the last month? Yikes who was highly valued by him. And when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, so this would be like um, older, important, and leaders in the Jewish people. They're in a Jewish area right here. The centurion is a Roman soldier. 
So he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, which means seriously, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And when Jesus went to them, he, sorry, and Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the house. And the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. These are the very words of God. And let's meet Jesus. Father God, I just pray. You are here. You have been here by the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus. And learning what Jesus really likes, what he saw in this centurion, I pray that you would set our hearts free to be like that too. For your glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Like I said, I really like this story. So we're going to walk through it. And the point today is kind of this. Boy, oh boy, does Jesus love it when you really trust him for real, for real. Boy, oh boy. Okay, different arm movements. Don't wear these things out. Okay, what can I do here? Boy, oh boy. (laughs) I don't want to be too silly, but I've already fallen off the cliff and I'm going to hit rocks all the way down. Boy, oh boy, does Jesus love it when you trust him? For real, for real. So let's walk through this. And now we know this from the end. From the end of this part here, there is this amazing declaration. Jesus has been ministering for a bit. Not totally sure how long. It's it's still in the first, uh, first third of the book. But he's got a good sense. He's been living in Israel. In, he's been to Jerusalem lots. He knows where the people are at. So he's been, John the Baptist has been teaching. He's been preaching this gospel of repentance. He's been trying to get these people ready for the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus is here and he's come. And I think he's used to where people's faith are at, which isn't great. but it's become normal. And so he gets this request for healing, which is a normal experience for him. In the early days of Jesus' ministry, he did a, a few healings, and the gossip network just went absolutely haywire, crashed the internet. Everyone's like, there's this guy, and he just touches people or looks at people or sneezes on people or spits on people, and they're better. And of course, they're living in the ancient world where there's 
you know, it's a toss-up. If the doctor comes to your house, you're, you might get better or he'll kill you, and they don't know what they're doing <laughs> at all. Um, and so uh, an illness is serious. Every illness is serious in the ancient world. And they don't know what they're doing half the time, making it better. And so it's a real deal. And everybody's just, everybody is hoping Jesus will make them better. And so he gets these invites to come and lay hands on or do his thing regularly. And so he gets another invite. And he's going. And then the guy says, no, no don't come. I'm really not worthy for you to come to my house. But I understand how authority works. And I know that if you say the word, it'll happen. So let's pause here for a sec. Let's have a little like history lesson. The Roman army, the most powerful armed military force in human history up to this point, fairly easily defeating everybody because of their discipline which meant when your leader told you what to do, you did it, or there's a good chance you're dead. So here's an example of Roman uh, authority and merciless expectations of obedience and action. When your general sent you into battle as a Roman soldier, if you, if you're, you're, if you guys ran away, they would do this thing called a decimation. Have you ever heard of this before? It's based off the word decima or whatever, which means a tenth, which is where we get the word decimal from. So you go into decimals and you're dealing with tenths of whole numbers. Math. You just got slammed with some math at church. You thought you were safe. You thought, oh, I'm safe till Monday. But no, math hits you on the Sunday morning. And what they would do is they would line up their own soldiers and every tenth guy got put to death in front of everybody else for their disobedience. We told you to fight. You ran away. Now there's one-tenth less of you, and we're going back into battle. So that's what this guy, that's this guy's world. You understand? So he's bringing his experience of life to his relationship with Jesus, which isn't always bad. And he's... You can't psychologize people from the Bible from one story, necessarily. So I'm not mind-reading this dude. But obviously there's something about the idea of Jesus coming to his house which he's slightly uncomfortable with. And so he talks to these Jewish people. And he's come to some kind of faith. And he says... My dude's going to die, and he's really important to me. They have a good relationship. Can you go talk to this Jesus? And they go get him, and on the way there, he, he, he realized, I'm not ready for this person to be in my sphere. But I understand authority. I, I know if whoever I am over doesn't listen to me, that I can toast them. And I know that you're over what I'm asking you to do, and so my buddy's sickness doesn't have a choice. It's either going to obey you or it's dead. 
And what I think, okay, and I'm rounding about why Jesus is so amazed here, okay? And this is just me. You don't have to believe this. But I think what happened is that for once, Jesus felt like someone was finally treating him like he deserved. Jesus, having come down from heaven, having spent eternity past being loved and adored and worshipped by the angels, all the angels of heaven knowing that Jesus is the source of all authority and power in the universe, and them aching to do jobs for God because it's an honor to obey God and accomplish his purposes in the world. And Jesus forever has been just in the zone where he's surrounded by beings who are confident that he can do whatever he wants and want to actually obey him 100%. Because all the angels that didn't want to obey Jesus 100% are now the demons and they in big trouble. And so here is Jesus used to an insulting level of trust coming towards him from people. Let that sink in. But mercifully dealing with people where they're at. And finally someone says, I get it. You just need to want it. It will happen. And Jesus says, that feels good (laughs) for someone to treat me like I deserve. And then he turns to the crowd, and God bless Jesus. He's a for real, for real guy. (laughs) Mows them all down with his words. It's this Roman guy who gets it. I can't find one Israelite who can treat me like I deserve here when it comes to trust. (laughs) He's just kind of like, thanks, I guess. What? what? Not thanks? Do you want me to just go... (laughs) so awkward. Not a guilt trip. Underneath the grace of Jesus, he loves it when we trust him as much as he deserves. As God and King and holding all authority and is being completely good for every second of all of existence. He's been good and strong and right and perfect and loving. And when we take our hearts and even change our hearts, now this story, the centurion, his heart actually changed as Jesus was walking towards his house. So we can grow. But he loves it when we push ourselves to treat Jesus like he deserves in the realm of trust. Don't you want to trust him more? Under the grace where we struggle with faith and yet pleasing the Lord as we grow in our faith. This is the Lord. Easy to please, hard to satisfy. This is the God of all grace. Easy to please, but hard to satisfy. You take a little baby step of trust, he's like, yeah! And we're going to get you running marathons. You do a little wobble, trust you a little bit. Here's a dollar of tithe with a wobble. Yeah! That's a 10 million percent increase from nothing that you were doing before. 
but we're going to get you generously giving. Just like your dad. Easy to please. Hard to satisfy. You see it here. Jesus is willing to come. Ah, okay, pause. Shifting into application mode a little bit. How do we, how do we imitate the centurion a little bit better? Number one, we come to realize that the culture and world that we live in isn't the whole deal. And this is what I mean. This centurion, again, is like a middle-ranking Roman soldier. So a centurion comes to the world like word century, which means 100, so roughly he would be in charge of about 100 soldiers. And this was like the basic building block of the Roman army, and you'd build those up into larger larger units. Does anybody remind me what they're called? The legion. Okay, so those would be, that was like the main thing, and then you might have multiple legions that might go on a campaign or something. But as a centurion, this guy was die hard for Rome. Like, you don't meet a Navy SEAL who doesn't love America, you know? They, they, they went all in for America, and they want to fight and die for America. A centurion is for Rome. He lives for the glory of Rome. He fights for the glory of Rome. He has proven himself in combat to be worthy of leading other people in combat for Rome. He's a Roman. And he was sent by Rome to Jerusalem to go and oppress those rebellious (laughs) Jews who are always trying to kill everybody who's oppressing them. And so he's sent there with his soldiers and his swords, and he's there for Rome. But then he gets to see the people and he hears about their faith and something happens and all of a sudden he loves these Jews and he wants to support their worship of the true and living God and he builds them a church. And so now as a miracle-loving Roman, he realizes he's fallen in love with something better And then when this Jesus comes, it scrambles again his whole lateral worldview. Because here is this guy who has sworn death allegiance to his Caesar, not going to Caesar with his problems, but treating a Jewish healer like he's not worthy to have Jesus come into his house. Arm-waving moment. One way we please Jesus with our faith is to remember that no matter where we go or where we are, Jesus is king over everything. King over Canada, king over Steinbeck, king over Calvary, king over China, king over the U.S., king over Sweden, king over all the water between all the continents, king over Mars, king over the moon, everywhere he is king. And whatever sub-loyalties we might have as being Canadian citizens and Steinbeckian citizens, all of them are rendered completely minuscule compared to Jesus Christ. 
And that's like the root of the centurion's pleasing, pleasing faith. He is in Jerusalem as the winner, conquering everything. He's killed people before, guaranteed. And then when Jesus shows up, he's like, I'm nothing and nobody, but if you just maybe think about helping, that'd be great. Canada is nothing and nobody. But boy, it'd be nice if Jesus would have mercy on us. America is nothing and nobody compared to Jesus. But boy, it would be nice if Jesus would have mercy on our neighbors to the south. China is nothing and nobody compared to Jesus. And boy, it would be great if that revival that's been going on there would keep going. This is, Jesus is king. And it's a blessing for him to be, his kingship to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Thought number two, which is completely compared to the first one, it is so okay to remember you don't deserve anything from Jesus when you're asking for big things. Anybody here ever get that, have I earned this miracle feeling when you go to pray? Yeah, that's crap. I dropped the C word. I hope it's okay. Parents of children, you can tell them that Rob made a mistake. Under the blood. However, you can see when the Jewish leaders come to Jesus, they do try to hit Jesus up with a this is why you need to do this because he's worthy speech. This always stands out to me when I read this passage. This guy is so worthy of this healing because he built stuff. He did stuff. He didn't do other things. He cares. Vote for Pedro. (laughs) And Jesus graciously goes with them, but then the centurion corrects them. Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Remember, he's a Roman ruling over the Jews, but he gets it that he's not worthy to have Jesus come into his turf. I'm not worthy. There is a way to do feeling unworthy, which isn't right, and that's to shrink back. I've sinned, shrink back, or I don't want to be here, shrink back, or I think I'm stupid, shrink back, or I don't look like, I, how, like how I look in the mirror, shrink back, and that does not please the Lord. But there is a way of relating to God where you just say, I don't even want to try to earn this. I just want to see your generosity that sets God on fire. Because it is true, we can't earn anything. And when God does the calculus of our worth, we always come up lacking. That's why Jesus had to come and die for us. He needed to die for the negative bill we bring to God every day. He needed to be able to wash away the history of everything we've done and said and thought and felt and take it away with zero. And then he needed to, by grace, be able to give us all of Jesus' righteousness. He goes on as our team captain so that every goal he scores on the ice 
life counts for us. When we put on the jersey of Jesus by faith, he went and was righteous for us on our behalf. He went and won the battle for us. He obeyed God for us. He took care of our debts. He filled our bank accounts before God with all of his cash. So that we could come honestly and say, I can never earn anything from you. But would you be merciful again? Because you're amazing. And when you come like that, God loves it. Tell the truth. Do you deserve this? No. Tell the truth. Am I good and generous? Yes. So you're going to ask? Oh, yeah. Don't deserve, gonna ask. God loves it. Don't deserve, gonna ask. God loves it. Do deserve, gonna ask. Este no bueno. Not so hot. Kind of don't understand who you are and who God is yet. God's still gracious and generous, and he, he, he feels free to be generous to whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to. Hallelujah. But you want to walk in like amazing Jesus' faith? Happily get low and ask big. Point number three. And the last one, in no particular order. All serving the big message. You know what? You can please Jesus with your big faith. And he loves it when we're unworthy and ask huge. I think I just lost my point three in my brain. Give me a second. Ah, point number three. You can trust Jesus even when you don't see it yet. One of the crazy things about this centurion story is that the centurion never meets Jesus because of his great faith. This is so crazy. I wouldn't have done this. If I knew how the story went, I'd be like, I would rather have less faith and meet Jesus. <laughs> you know? So I had a good story for the kid. I'd rather see the face of the Messiah. And let this guy die, maybe. But I'd rather see... The, <laughs> that's that's the, what's on there. You know, he's on there. Just, just believe, man. I'm gonna, <laughs> There's no Pepto. There's no gravel. There's no Imodium. This is terrible. The guy literally tells Jesus, go home and remember me. And his friend gets healed. Isn't that crazy? So, like, you can believe in Jesus without seeing it if you'll take him at his word. And this, again, just pushes us back to this, where we started. Get to the book and believe his word, and Jesus will be amazed and be happy to be involved in your life for good. Because the guy he was most impressed with in the Bible for his faith said, I don't need to see you to believe you. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's trust for real, for real. That's like tweeting out your credit card number 
with the expiration date and those three numbers on the back trust. That's too much. Don't do that. <laughs> All your Bitcoin's gone anyway, so you know, you got to protect your credit cards. So, wrapping it up in a bow, looking at a story of a real person meeting the real Jesus, seeing that Jesus was really pleased at this guy's real faith, let's together, number one, close our eyes to the news and believe that Jesus is King of Kings over Canada. Close your eyes to the news. Close your eyes to the news and believe that no matter who you are, you are talking to someone who has complete authority over everything he can think about. Number two, be so happy to be unworthy to ask for every huge thing you ask for. Be okay with it. Forget the stuff. Forget what, If you need to confess a sin, confess it. James says that, you know, if you need a healing, get your junk out of the closet. Maybe God's pressing pause on something because he wants to deal with that healing first before he deals with that healing second. That's cool. God's good. But come to God asking big because you don't deserve it. Feel free, do it. And number three, be so happy to, to not even need to see it. Be okay with the results, even if you don't see the process. As long as Jesus does it. A guy was healed. Ah, it's still my brain. Like, I feel like you, you know when you watch those old game shows and you've got to yell at the people, take door number two. You can either not meet the Messiah and who knows what. Take door number two, said Jerry, and meet Jesus, meet Jesus. I'm living right now to meet Jesus. All I want to do is see his face. And he said, I don't need to see the face. I, I already know you. That's crazy. So, like, trust the book. Look in the book. It's in the book. Yeah, we're okay, thanks. I just need one person to know. And then it was a successful strange reference. Okay, we're going to worship now. Thanks, everyone, for their patience. Okay, Canadians, while they're coming up, we're going to have to be a little un-Canadian. Do you know what Canadians love more than anything else? Doing whatever we want. It's true. Autonomy, independence. We're at the point now where the highest point of our culture is that if you're a depressed teenager, the government will end your life for you to have self-will. They'll cut off whatever you want to cut off so you can... Feel like you're yourself. They'll end your life so you can get what you want. It's the height of freedom in Canada right now. Self-authority. No one can tell me I need to keep living. That's crazy. That's hell. 
we come to the king. We get under his authority. He gets to tell us how long we live. And someday he's going to say, you're coming back from the dead and you're going to live with me forever because he's got all authority. So we get under his authority and we're going to obey. We're going to obey. Same way sickness needs to obey Jesus, we're going we're gonna to stop letting this guy's sickness be more obedient to Jesus than we are. What? I never thought I'd say that sentence in my life. Sometimes the demons were more obedient to Jesus than we are because he would tell them to go and they did it. But he tells us to go and we don't always. That ain't right. That ain't right. And that's why Jesus went through so many of his miracles saying, this is an okay miracle. Because I know you didn't half believe and you're not going to obey me tomorrow. But I can send the demons out and they listen. That ain't right. That ain't right. That ain't right. He bought our yes. Before Jesus talks, it's yes. We don't want the sickness to be more obedient than us. The bride. We're his beloved. He died for us. We're beautiful to him. He's given us a mission and a glory and the wedding ring of the Spirit. We're the best thing on the planet. We're his favorite thing on the planet. Jesus, the answer is yes. He's got all authority. There's no nation or movement or secret group or reset that can survive five minutes when Jesus says you're done. But he can't find a church that says yes. He wants yes. He wants before you do something yes. He wants I don't have to see you yes. He wants... Caesar's nothing, yes. That's trusting Jesus for real, for real. Amen. I'm out.